A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. Well, you might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and of course, you would be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in and around the world of politics. Today, we shall be joined by Graham Tomlin. Now, Graham is a former Bishop of Kensington. He now heads up the Centre for Cultural Witness, which looks at how the church can explain, explore and share with others its profound and transforming story in public. We'll find out more about that and get Graham's reflections on the relationship between the church and politics. But first, this week we see Parliament debating the Chancellor's budget against a backdrop of families struggling to make ends meet. We're witnessing an international banking scare that has seen market share prices plummet. There's the show of solidarity between the leaders of Russia and China that presents a real concern to Western nations and a serious attempt to find a way through the Brexit stalemate in Northern Ireland. And so naturally, the news headlines are full of Boris Johnson again. Well, the former prime minister will appear this week before the Commons Privileges Committee as part of its investigation into whether he misled Parliament. Now, if you remember, he spent a lot of time last year denying that Downing Street was holding parties at a time of COVID restrictions, when such gatherings, of course, were banned by his very own government in order to slow infections, protect the NHS and save lives. The subsequent revelation of photographic evidence suggesting the contrary and a series of WhatsApp messages where officials tried to work out how to justify it ultimately led to Mr Johnson being ousted from number 10 by his own MPs last summer. Now, the cross-party parliamentary committee has been deliberating for many months and the flurry of anticipation at his appearance at this week's hearing reminds us just what a prominent status he still holds. For Mr Johnson, the committee's decision could lead to his suspension from the Commons, which under the rules would open the way, or at least could do, for a petition of recall by his constituents. Some of his opponents would undoubtedly use this to try to force a by-election to eject him from Parliament. Meanwhile, his supporters have accused Labour of leading a witch hunt and are seeking to discredit the committee by suggesting it is running a kangaroo court in danger, ironically, of damaging the integrity of our political system. We can see that both sides are weaponizing the circumstances, heightening the current culture of mistrust and short-term political posturing. The media is naturally excited because Boris Johnson is celebrity gold when it comes to selling papers or, in today's online world, generating clicks. Ultimately, I would say, it seems to come down to the fact that Mr Johnson has never felt that the rules really apply to him and that this has landed him in a particularly sticky situation. And for those looking on, it once again seems to prove that, as someone once said, politics is a mucky business. This all feels like a massive distraction at a time when there are so many more important things going on in the world. So why am I talking about it today? Well, because if Christians in politics can agree on one thing only, it must surely be that integrity matters when it comes to holders of public office. We need leaders who will focus on the challenges rather than the optics, who will seek to address the underlying issues affecting our society and the economy rather than playing to the gallery. We know a general election is coming in the next 18 months and therefore politicians are even more aware of their need to chase approval. But my experience of talking to my constituents on the doorstep demonstrates that they want a serious government who will get on with the process of governing in the interests of others. 
And my experience of being an MP for the last 18 years tells me that the majority of my colleagues really do care about standards in public life and genuinely want to make a positive difference to society. Yet here we are with the media concentrating on who said what in a WhatsApp message and how it can be best interpreted to save the political bacon or put the final nail in the coffin of a former prime minister. To his credit, Rishi Sunak is refusing to allow the government to be drawn into this debate, but it still threatens to overshadow everything else this week. If character and integrity are as important as we say they are, then maybe the focus on Boris Johnson this week isn't a sideshow distraction after all. Maybe it will help us to promote the importance of honesty and decent behaviour in high office. As Christians, we need to be continually praying for leaders who will prioritise a love of neighbour and care for the vulnerable. We need to pray for those with whom we disagree, and we need to be wise in the way in which we ingest and react to the outrage whipped up on both sides. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he urges that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Prayer is our opportunity to go directly to the creator of the universe, to the one who holds all things in his hands and who is intimately concerned with the way in which we are governed by those who wield influence over our lives. So let's pray for integrity and truth to be brought to the fore in the way that we do politics today. A mucky business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guest this week, Graham Tomlin, the former Bishop of Kensington, is now leading the Centre for Cultural Witness, and he's with us now. Uh, how are you, Graham? I'm very well this morning. Thank you, Tim. Nice to see you. Uh, you too, and thank you very much for for joining us. Let's let's start personal and ask you about your faith. Uh, how did you come to be a Christian? Well, I grew up in a in a Christian family. My dad was a Baptist minister, and um, I kind of grew up in uh, one of those homes where you're, you're kind of brought to church from a very early age. And um, I, I guess I, I went through that sort of normal teenage kind of rebellion period, although my, my teenage rebellion was not, you know, drink, sex and rock, rock and roll. It was it was reading Nietzsche and becoming an atheist and that kind of thing and turning away from my family's faith. And I had a number of years as a teenager where I was very definitely not a Christian um, and would have described myself as an atheist. And but then was gradually brought back to faith, partly by the the witness of some good friends who kind of didn't give up on me and I'm sure my parents praying for me and 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 also kind of reading around Christian faith and my my parents you know made me carry on going to church and that made me kind of still listen to talks and read the bible and I gradually kind of realized there was an adult form of Christian faith rather than the childish form that I'd I'd sort of given up you know a few years earlier on so um that's really how I came to an adult faith. And what brought you into the church? Well, I went to university and got involved in um, kind of Christian stuff in different kind of ways. Really found I loved um, helping people to, to understand Christian faith and, you know, helping pastor people. And uh, the more I thought about that, the more I thought, you know, what do I want to do with my life? I went for a, a while. I worked for a, an insurance company for a little bit. I didn't find that very satisfying to my soul and felt that something else was calling me and Increasingly, sense sense that God was calling me into to uh, ordained ministry, so went through all the process of that, and um, found myself getting ordained within the Anglican Church. That was quite a long time ago now, but um, yeah, it was that sense that that's. Um, I remember someone saying to me, "And you know, if if you uh, try and avoid it if you can, because if God is calling you, you can't avoid it." And uh, there was a sense that that was true. That this was something that was 
just pulling at my heart and and um it's what would only really satisfy me as a person to do this particular role so that's what i've done mm. so we're fast forwarding through a lot of your of your uh, vocation in the church to a particularly horrific period in the community that you served as uh, the bishop of of kensington and that was the the Grenville fire tragedy in 2017. Tell me a little bit what it looks like to um, lead a Christian community in a place that's been hit by something so unspeakably tragic. And how does the church rightly relate to such an event? Yeah, it was, uh, it was as you say, a really difficult time, both for that community, for the people around involved in it. And, um, and I, I do know many of the, the local Christian leaders who were involved at the time, um, Really, really struggled since since then in many ways because of the kind of uh, the, the, the trauma of being involved in that community um involved something like that has all kinds of impacts on people it um traumatizes people in different ways it causes division amongst communities it causes anger it causes frustration i remember at the time there was a great deal of of anger sort of flowing around the local community and i think one of the things i i kind of resolved early on was to try to say well my, my role as a christian leader is to speak hope into this situation so whatever I, whenever i give a a radio interview or a tv um in a conversation or a you know recording to a journalist or whatever it might be i want to speak some word of hope that's actually you know although there's been a, this immense tragedy that um and you know at the time we didn't know who was to blame and that's coming out as the public inquiry carries on but i wanted to speak that word of hope that lives can be rebuilt that things can um not just come back to normal but god can heal some of the wounds of the of, of the past and we've seen that happen in a number of ways and so um trying to bring that sense of hope was not not always easy when people were very angry and very frustrated and wanting to kind of find who was at fault for the for the for the, the tragedy um but i felt that was my role to try and bring that note of hope to it all mm. in your current role um as you as you lead the church of england's work on cultural witness you, you obviously stepped out of being a bishop and um was the experience of the grenfell fire did it have any impact upon you feeling you wanted to go on to do something else was it a sense that you felt called to leave the position of of being a bishop in a community like that or was it that you felt called out of it into something new I think it was mainly the latter. It was being called out of something, although it wasn't it wasn't uninfluenced by it. I mean, certainly the Grenfell Tower fire and the the role that I was able to play in that, and in some ways being become one of the public faces of the church in that tragedy, got me thinking quite a bit about how, how do I speak as a Christian leader in public? Uh, how do I make the most of the opportunity I have to speak, and how do I speak in a way that is distinctive as a Christian leader rather than any other community leader? What do I bring? Um, that is different from what others bring. And that got me thinking quite a lot about the public role of the church and how we how we tell the Christian story uh, in public. Um, and again, one of the things that struck me about Grenfell was that sometimes there's the kind of slightly fragmented nature of our Christian churches. You know, in the, the local area, North Kensington, there are a lot of Christian churches, but a lot of them quite small, different denominations, and trying to get a coordinated sort of public voice was sometimes quite hard. So the Grenfell really did make me think a lot about the church's public witness, how we tell the story in public. And I guess as time went on, I was quite keen to, to, to do the fifth year anniversary. So um, last year, 2022, was the five year anniversary of the Grenfell Tower Fire. We did a major service in Westminster Abbey. And I, I thought I wanted to, to sort of see that through to the five year anniversary. Um, 
I still remain involved with the community up there and still remain involved in keeping an eye on the public inquiry. And obviously when it reports in time, uh, I'll be taking keen interest in that. But I think increasingly I had that sense that God was calling me into something new, which was to focus on this issue of how we tell the story in public, how we do our, our public witness in the context of the culture we're in right now. And so really that's what was behind the calling to move to this direction. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Graham Tomlin, who leads the Church of England's Centre for Cultural Witness, having been the Bishop of Kensington until last year. Tell me about the Centre for Cultural Witness. Why was it established? What's it for? It's there to try to strengthen the church's voice in public. I think very often our, our voice as Christians in the public square is often... Um, uh, Sometimes it's shrill, sometimes it's a bit scattered, sometimes it's sometimes we're silent. We don't have a, a, as strong a voice as we might. And um, very often mainstream media are interested in the church when there's a when there's a fight or when there's a scandal, um, but not interested in the kind of nuances of our, our faith. And so um, it seems to me that we have a, we have 2000 years of really deep reflection on what it means to be human, what it means to live as a human society, uh, who God is, uh, how life works. And very quickly in our society, we've kind of jettisoned that wisdom and um, we've kind of turned away from it. And it seems to me that that well of wisdom is there still for us to be to, to share. And so uh, I was quite keen to try and find a way to do that. So Certificultural Witness was set up back in last year to kind of focus on this issue of strengthening the church's voice in public, um, uh, aiming at a renewal of the public understanding of Christian faith. We talk about that as well. And we do it through uh, a number of different means. We do. Um, we've, we started a brand new opinion website last week called Seen and Unseen. We're doing training for um, for bishops and senior Christian leaders in how they're going to use their voice in public. We're doing uh, some research projects uh, in how the church does its public witness. And, and really, so really, that's what it's about. And so um, what the hope would be in a number of years' time, we've got a stronger, more confident Christian voice in public. And this is a key part of that, uh, that change in our public life. There's a there's a challenge that I often hear Christians use about society that we are a society that is more religiously illiterate than it's it's been before. But I wonder if the challenge for us as Christians is actually that we need to be culturally literate. That very often we don't realise how we are heard, and without trimming the truth one bit, we can still speak in a more intelligible way into the culture that we happen to currently be in. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. Um... That's why the, the title of the centre is the centre of a cultural witness. It's about how do we bear witness to Jesus Christ and how do we tell the story of Christian faith. But also we, we never do that in a, in a vacuum. We always do it in a particular cultural context. Um, I mean, I, I've been fascinated. I've been reading around quite a lot recently about the 1940s and the way in which so many kind of Christian figures were involved in public debate, articulating a really rich um, vision of Christian life. You had people like C.S. Lewis, you had Jerry R. Tolkien, you had Dorothy Sayers, you had T.S. Eliot, you had W.H. Auden, these public figures. And using, using the radio, kind of speaking into the kind of realities of the Second World War years and the kind of hopes and fears for the future, you know, that was a really good example, it seems to be, of cultural witness. And I think we need to do something of the same sort of thing today, uh, which is to kind of have that, um, that witness to Jesus Christ. But attuned to the culture that we're part of using the cultural uh, channels that we have today to communicate that uh, in a much more effective and coordinated way than we sometimes have in the past i was listening to um a at my church in kendall on sunday and the pastor talked about how well, you know back in the day charles spurgeon could stand up preach a sermon 
and a bunch of people would come to know the Lord and be saved because they turned up because people did turn up to church. I guess a bit like you did as a as a as a youngster. We're not in that place now, mm-hmm. and the opportunity to have someone sit in front of you for half an hour and you tell them the gospel, and then maybe through the work of the Holy Spirit that they get it. That does happen, but not mm-hmm. so much. And mm-hmm. so we need to find new ways. So when we do get a hearing, how do you actually get to describe the gospel? How do you actually get to share that with somebody? Well, it seems to me one of the things we need to do is to kind of, um, I mean, part, part of it is sharing the gospel, the kind of heart of the Christian faith, but also part of it is helping people see how Christians see the world differently. Because um, what, what I think we, we Christians do is we, we look at the world through different eyes. We look at the world as a world that's created by God, a world in which God has become incarnate in Jesus Christ, a world in which, you know, Christ died for the sins of the world, a world in which Christ is risen. And therefore, we look at the world differently. We look at the world with, with faith and with hope and with love. You know, we look at the, the world through different eyes. And part of our task, I think, is to describe that world. So one of the things we're, we're trying to do on the, on the website that we just launched last week, uh, seenandunseen.com is to kind of have some articles that are explaining aspects of Christian faith, you know, Christian doctrines or theologians of the past or books that have been influential or works of art or architecture. But we're also trying to say, okay, how does how does the world look differently? How does how does law, how does economics, how does housing, how does artificial intelligence, how does the Russia-Ukraine war, how do all the kind of issues of today look like when you see it through the lens of Christian faith? And the hope would be that both, you know, we Christians can read that and think, okay, our, our faith has got something to say to these issues in contemporary life. But not only that, we can share it with other other people who are, who are friends of ours. We can pass on these 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 articles and say, look, you know, just take a look at this because this will help you to see how how I see the world, how Christians see the world differently. And the hope is that then people begin to see, well, yes, you don't. If you look at the world this way, it gives you a much bigger and richer and more colourful view of the world than any secular vision can offer. Mm. And I guess also when you've got, you know terrifying events going on, China and Russia, uh, maybe buddying up all these other things, a possible return of a 2008-style banking crash and many other things that could keep us awake at night. It gives us the permission not to panic, to know that God is sovereign and these things, horrific they may be, that they, they, will, they will pass. There will be some who will say that if we are seeking to witness to our culture by seeking to understand it, we run the risk of being molded by the culture more than we mold the culture how, how do you respond to that yeah that's always a risk and you always have to but it seems to me you, you can't avoid that risk um in trying to communicate you, you can either say the same old thing as you've always said 40 50 100 years ago in which case no one really understands it because it's in different language it doesn't really relate to their lives at all uh, or you can take the risk of trying to find here how do i express this faith in terms that make sense to people I'm speaking to. So it seems to me it's a risk we can't avoid taking. And that's why we need to do our, our, our reading of the Bible carefully. We need to do our theology well to make sure that we, in taking that risk, that we still convey the heart of the Christian truth as it's always been there, that mm-hmm. energizing, life-giving Christian faith that is at the, is, is at the heart of the church. Um, but yet in a way that does communicate uh, to, 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 to people that... that um, and, and we do that not just for the sake of the person outside the church, but also for our own sakes too. And so I was um, thinking recently that when people leave the church, they, they, they rarely leave the church because of a crisis of faith, that they don't believe in God or they don't believe in the incarnation. They, they, they leave the church because of a crisis of relevance. And that is that they don't really see the relevance of their faith to the rest of life. 
And therefore, it's vital, it seems to me, that we do this work of again and again in every generation. How does this faith apply to these issues that we're facing at the moment? And how does this faith actually transform the way we look at the world today? And so for a member of the Church of England or any Christian living in their community today, wherever it might be, how would they engage in your work? How can they be helping you? How can they be benefiting from the work that the centre is doing? Well, I think the first thing is to um, to check out the, the website. It's uh, so it's brand new, started last week. Uh, seen, and, seen and Unseen, so S-E-S-W-E, so it's that, from that line in the creed. You know, God is the maker of all things seen and unseen. So seenandunseen.com, go on the website, check it out, and look around it, find the articles that are there, and read them just to help your own faith and your, and your own understanding of how Christian faith helps you see the world differently. But also as you read it, think... Um, is there someone I know who might be interested in this article? Because every article is written for the person outside the church. Uh, it's not written for a Christian audience primarily. It's written primarily for an audience outside the church. So as you read an article on maybe the um, the Russia-Ukraine war, you might think, I, I know someone who's really interested in that and, you know, really kind of exercised by it. And I could, I could ping that article to them. I'll send them an email. Uh, or I might tweet that out. Or I might kind of put it on Facebook or, or, or share it in some way. And um, uh, so read it for yourself. Um, help enable it to expand your worlds and your view of the world and the good depth of your Christian faith, but also share it with others uh, who don't yet have a faith because it might be the key that begins to make them feel that Christian faith has got more to offer them in their lives than they ever thought possible. Great, that's a great place to end. We're very, very grateful to you for your time with us today and for the work you've done in the community you have served and especially the work you're doing now with the Centre for Cultural Witness. We, we wish you very, very much the best as you take this forward. And thanks for being with us. Thanks very much, Tim. Really good to be with you this morning. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question that you'd like about this mucky business of politics. Now, it may be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. And there is a strong chance I'll be answering it on an episode of the next few weeks. So this week, Mike in Derby has been in touch and he says this. How can we as Christians influence politicians to not use inflammatory language? Well, obviously, we have through social media the opportunity to directly interact with our politicians these days. And sometimes we get angry with those people we see on social media, venting their opinions and sharing what they think about the world. We should be grateful, perhaps, that we have that direct access. Let's first understand why might a politician or a commentator use inflammatory language? Well, sometimes it's deliberately done to inflame and to manipulate. Sometimes it's done as a kind of defence mechanism, lashing out because people feel wounded, particularly when identity politics is being deployed. So I guess our, Christ our role as Christians is to be gracious in all circumstances, not to be drawn in with that. If somebody says something inflammatory, then our job is maybe sometimes just to not respond. You don't have to. But in other occasions, to respond graciously with an honest question. Um, even if our first or second intervention in that debate is gracious, we can then potentially get tempted by the third or fourth uh, response from that political character to lose our rag back. And we mustn't do it. You know, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see there are times when I absolutely do not practice what I preach. 
but I try to. And I think for us, making sure that our language is always seasoned with grace is something which gives people, well, a sense of surprise. Why would these people behave in this different countercultural way? And then maybe, just maybe, we get the opportunity to share the gospel. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. As we end our time together, let's join in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Graham Tomlin. Um, we thank you for his faith and we thank you for the Centre for Cultural Witness. We pray that you'll bless its work, that you would keep all those involved in its work uh, focused and faithful to your truth, that you are um, the saviour of the world, that you died for our sins and that by coming to know you is the one way we can ensure that we are safe with you forever. So we pray that that would be the leading motivation of the Centre for Cultural Witness. And we pray you would bless them in all wisdom and understanding, strengthen their engagement with communities right across our country and beyond, and help them to equip uh, faithful Christians to live faithfully and productively within their communities. And Lord, we think uh, internationally now of Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping meeting in uh, Moscow. Um, we worry um, dare we say that, Lord, um, uh, are fearful about uh, those two powerful men meeting together and, and the prospect that that could lead to uh, further violence, further oppression um, and further hardship, especially for the people of Ukraine. Well, Lord, we pray that your will will be done in the meeting between those two men, that you would bring wisdom or in, indeed you would bring consternation. Uh, where it is your will to do so, that you would ensure that peace returns to Ukraine, um, that wickedness does not go unpunished, and that justice happens. Lord, we praise you that you're sovereign. We ask that you would intervene in these circumstances. In Christ's name, we ask for all these things. Amen. Well, we're going to have a three-week break now uh, as uh, the Easter period uh, approaches. So we'll be coming back uh, towards the end of April. I'm very much looking forward to a great run of guests uh, for um, the remainder of our time running up to summer. Um, but for now, thanks so much for joining us for the show. Don't forget, you can catch up on many past episodes, all of those uh, that we've done, 80 plus, which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. See you soon. Bye.